Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. We are in a pandemic of fatherlessness. In America alone, 18.3 million children live without a biological step or an adoptive father in the home. The ramifications of being fatherless are severe and often irreparable. Children who grow up without a father encounter higher rates of poverty, abuse, and neglect. They are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, commit crimes, and go to prison. But restoration is on the horizon. Psalm chapter 68 verse 5 declares that God is a father to the fatherless. He draws the orphan to himself and writes them in his glorious lineage. Children of God, fatherless, no more. Good morning. morning. Glad to see you. Um, uh, Two quick things before we jump into uh, our new series. The first one, this is really disconnected from the message, but um, I read this on Friday, and I just felt like this isn't being said And it is important to be saying this. So this is from the Wall Street Journal, uh, just this past Friday, the 19th. Let me, the author is a doctor. Uh, His name is Marty uh, McCary, I'm sorry. And uh, he is a professor at John Hopkins School of Medicine and the Bloomberg School of Public Health. He's the chief medical advisor to Sesame Care, which is a a big healthcare provider, more uh, on the East Coast than here in the West, and the author of The Price We Pay having to do with uh, insurance. So this is not just some Joe Schmo with an opinion about what's going on. This is someone who uh, is in the know, and this is the, the article just, it begins this way. So listen to this. Amid the dire COVID warnings, one crucial fact has been largely ignored. Cases are down 77% uh, 77% over the past six weeks, 77% over the past six weeks. And then it goes on to say that um, by April, herd immunity will have taken over, but none of this is being talked about. And he goes into it maybe because of political reasons. You know, they're getting ready to spend $1.9 trillion uh, into the economy. And obviously, if you begin to talk about that COVID is it's down 77% in the last six weeks, and in Colorado alone, I mean, we're seeing it's, it's miraculous what, what is happening, then it doesn't make sense to spend that kind of money, would it, right? So they're, they're kind of not talking about this information. My point is simply this, it's not political. Uh, it is just to say this, that I feel we are close to being able to put this thing behind us, folks. And um, even though... It's still often, often fear, 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 and, you know, bad, bad, bad. I believe that the facts are bearing itself out, that it is getting better, and we are close to putting it behind us at this point. And while I still believe, without a doubt, that it is serious, and especially for people who are at risk, be, be particularly cautious if you're in that group. 
for the vast majority of people, it's, it's down to where, right? We're, we're gonna look at it here in a few months and, and it'll be nice to have this nasty, ugly thing in the rear view mirror and not in uh, the front of us. So I just felt like I wanted to bring that news out and, and to begin to, um, you know, just to celebrate. I, I just think um, our best days are in front of us, not uh, behind us. So, uh, and then this one, you know that we're in the middle of a campaign right now and I'll talk a little bit about where we are today. Um, but I, I have asked people uh, for the stories as they feel like the Lord has put it on their heart to give. If there's a story behind it, I love the stories. The stories are the things that they, they uh, the money is awesome. The money's what allows us to go forward. Obviously, it's a, it's a tremendous blessing, but the stories behind it are what fill my heart. They're the things that, um, they're the God stories that I love. And this one went to the top of the pile. I've got some other ones that I intend to read over the next few weeks that are really, they're, they're super stories and I think they'll be encouraging to you. But I got this one this last week and it just went right to the top of the pile. And I don't know that I've ever received um, a letter from someone that meant more, some that are equal, but I don't know that one ever meant more. This is from a seven-year-old boy, okay? And he wrote it on this envelope and put money inside of the envelope and then put it in the offering. And here's what it says. Dear Pastor John, I'm Blake Early and I'm seven years old. I know you want to buy a new building and I'm donating $101 to buy it. Hope the vote went well. Love Blake. <laughs> And gave his money. And so he got his money. He had a lemonade stand this past summer, right? And um, that was all of the money that he made from it. And it wasn't, he, he, they came up last night. I didn't know him. I didn't know his family. And they happened to be in the service last night when I read the letter. And so they came up and introduced me to him after the service. And I, um, I actually praised his parents because a lot of parents would have said to a seven-year-old, no, you're not gonna do that. Don't, don't do that with your money. And they allowed their son to, he felt something in the Holy Spirit. And there's no junior version of the Holy Spirit, right? There, God doesn't give some half-pint version of the Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. And I congratulated them because when you allow your children at a young age to get used to the idea of hearing from the Holy Spirit, what do you think you reap when they're in high school? What do you think you get when they're young adults and they get married? You don't want kids to begin to listen to the Holy Spirit when they're 25 years old. You want them to be comfortable when they're seven and eight hearing from the Holy Spirit. Yes or no? And there, some in this room hear things like that and think, oh, I, come on. You come on. <laughs> you come on. This is awesome. And I just, what a, what a neat, neat family to be able to, to share that story. It just meant so much um, to have that and to have that kind of a spirit. So uh, there are other ones that are significant, the, that the stories are far more, um, you know, not, not complicated is not the word, but layered. This is a simple one from a kid who was just touched in his heart and it just did something in my heart. You too. Right, it's just special. So I wanted to share that with you. Okay, our new series is called Fatherless No More. I think that you will appreciate it and enjoy uh, this series. So I'm gonna try to do two things to get today. Uh, I'm gonna try to take the first message in our new series and talk about God as our Father, the necessity of understanding that and relating to God that way, um, why it's foundational to everything. It's not some like touchy-feely thing that, uh, hey, I'm glad that you see God that way. That's not the way that I am ever related to him and so good for you, but I'm over here. It can't be like that. This is foundational truth. 
that God is our father and the way that he loves us and the way that he wants us to relate to him is as father. When Jesus is asked to teach how to pray, the Lord's prayer begins with our father. I mean, he could have given any word, our Lord, our master, our creator, all of them would be true. But instead, he gives the word father. He wants us to relate to him as father. We are his children. One of my favorite verses in the scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. I love this. See what great love the father has. What's that word? Lavish. You know, when you love someone, it's fun to lavish on them. Wow. Maybe I need to do a marriage series, right? I'm gonna say it one more time. Really good place. Like if you're here with your spouse or significant other, when I say it's fun to lavish on them, you should at least go, yes, right? It'll get you points if not. Like, come on. So see what great love the Father has lavished on us. It's fun, fun to lavish love on people that are significant in your life. And here the Bible uses this word in order to talk to us about how God loves us, how God sees us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then this sentence, and that is what we are emphatically, right? We are children of God. The best news I can give any of you this morning is that God loves you and you are his child. That's good news, man. That's the thing that is foundational. It's true. Everything in your Christianity has to be built on the foundation that God loves you and that you are his child. If you get that right, everything else will flow together. If you get that wrong, everything else will struggle. To understand that God loves you helps you to read the difficult parts of the Bible because you read it through the lens of love. If you struggle with him loving you, then when you read the difficult parts, they can be condemning, can't they? And it's not meant to be that way. So I want to take this first message in the series on fatherless no more. And then I also want to connect it to where we are in space and time. What's going on with this project? Um, I guess a good place to begin was last week. Uh, if you happen to be in service last week or you saw the message from last week, you recognize that Chris and I uh, weren't here. We had to record a message and then have it played for the church uh, concerning the vote and where we were with the project because we had said months and months and months ago we had an invitation to go to a church in Jacksonville, Florida and do a marriage conference together and then I would stay over and do the weekend services for them. And man, they worked us. In two days, we taught seven times. You imagine? I mean, we were, we were tired. So uh, we, we got into Jacksonville. What would I say about Jacksonville? Uh, it's warm. So here was, listen to this story. We get on the plane a week ago to come home, I finished the morning messages, rushed to the airport. Um, it was, I think, 70 degrees when we left Jacksonville. When we landed in Denver, it was four below zero. <laughs> so God never intended a human to go through that kind of a temperature change in a few hours, right? And I'm now very certain that the Garden of Eden would be closer to Florida than Denver because <laughs> to be Naked and comfortable, it's got to be at least 70 some odd degrees, not four below zero. That's another, that's not in the Bible. That's my own. Yeah. So we're in Florida and because we had said yes to the invitation months ago, it just happened to coincide with the time where the vote on uh, the CU building was happening and there was no way out of it for us. They had already advertised it. We had given them our word. And so, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, it just was, it was the necessity that we were there when the vote happened. 
And you know that the week before that, I had said to all of you, um, what we need, our last hurdle with the CU building is this vote with the Board of Regents. There are nine of them, and we need them to vote yes so that we can um, buy the building. And then, um, you know, of course, the financing has to be put together, and it's got to, I mean, there were some hurdles left, but the major hurdle in having a contract was the vote. And so I asked you, if you remember, pray this Thursday the 11th. And if you don't know how to pray, do you remember what I said? Pray that God's will be done. That's what I've said the whole time. Let's pray that God's will would be done. And so um, we're in Florida on Thursday the 11th, and the vote happens. And we were voted uh, eight to one in favor of them selling the building to us. So eight of the regents said absolutely. One said no, but they didn't, we didn't need unanimous. We just needed majority, right? And the one that said no wasn't against us. They, she just wanted, um, she was hoping that CU would be able to somehow work it out, but that's, that's not the case. So it wasn't that she was against us. She was just hoping for something else. That makes sense. So we thought, that's it. We've got it. So Pastor Todd had contacted us. Todd uh, is the liaison. This is Todd's job right now is the selling of our properties and the buying of the new property. And he, Todd's got his hands full right now. So Todd called and said, um, hey, we got it, eight to one. Chris and I are in Florida, and man, are we rejoicing. And then listen to this. Within a short time of that, there's a family in the church that had contacted and said, what's left of the $4 million that you're trying to raise? And we're at 3.3 million, right? 3.3 million. So just real quick, 3.3 million in seven weeks is miraculous of itself, right? That's just glory to God. But we needed the four. And so they said, what's left of the four? And I said, approximately, I guess Todd actually said, approximately uh, between five and 700,000 will be left when everything's said and done. And they said, we, we want to make up the difference. Okay, we want to make up the difference. And there was a contingency. They were going to sell uh, a building that they have uh, to do it. And um, no doubt it would have sold. It's a, it's a beautiful property. And so, um, so we, we, have, we get the vote and then the money. And it's just like this incredible. So the first people that we contact is our children. You have to understand that our children, they're the ones before anybody else was here, our children were here. And when everybody else is gone, our children will be here, right? We honor our children. They helped us build this church, and they're a part of what goes on inside of this church. In uh, Some of them as pastors, some of them just as they're our children. So we do a Zoom call with our kids, and I'm so emotional, which is, it's my strength and my weakness, right? It all comes from my heart. What you see is what it is, and it's my strength, but it's also my weakness because I wear my feelings on my sleeve, and I can't even get the words. Chris has to do the Zoom call because I'm just weeping. I can't get the words out. I'm like, look what God has done. And then within a short time, um, CU had added four contingencies to the contract that were absolutely impossible for us to be able to navigate. We can't even negotiate. So a a couple of them, I mentioned them last week, but a couple of them, um, the two most significant ones to me, all four of them were impossible, but the two that really just like, what is this? Uh, One they could withhold any negative information that they knew about the building. Which is actually illegal unless you put it in a contract that you can do that. So they were allowed to withhold any negative information that they knew about the building. And um, the exposure that they risked would only be $50,000. Now, $50,000 sounds like a lot of money, but in a $20 million building, if the foundation is bad, 
if the, the air chiller is bad, you're talking about something that could cost 250 or half a million dollars. 50,000 doesn't cover that. So we went back and we just said, look, you're gonna have to up the, uh, Todd actually said, put it up to $5 million. If you can withhold information, then your exposure should be, if there's nothing wrong with the building, that's what you're saying, then put it at $5 million. That if there's something hidden that we find out about, uh, as long as it's under five million, you have to pay. And they refuse to. They refuse to budge at all. And then the second one that just simply made it absolutely impossible too was that they put uh, in the contract that they could get out of the contract up until the day before closing, and that their risk in that their exposure would be two hundred thousand dollars. Now two hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money, but again, it's a, two, a twenty million dollar project, and for us to lose it the day before. Where would, it would leave us without time to do anything else, correct? Okay, why would they do that? No, I'm asking you. Somebody tell me. Why would they do that? I don't know. There's see, I, I, maybe. We've heard rumor, so just listen. I'm just talking right now. None of this is factual. It's only rumor, and it's part of what makes this so difficult right now. Rumor is, well, this part's not rumor, where Swab is and Target right down the street from us, that's not the main development for Lone Tree. The main development will be in the next five to six years on the east side of I-25 in Lincoln and uh, up to where the CU building is, all of that's going to be developed. It'll have more square footage, uh, retail square footage than Cherry Creek. Yeah, it's, they're gonna build 9,000 houses right there. And so the building is right in the middle of their, their big plan development. And so one of the rumors that we heard is that CU was a key piece that they wanted there, but they don't want a church to be like the key, the key thing right there. But that's rumor. So Todd tried to say, hey, what can we do to try to negotiate on this? And they basically just shrugged their shoulders and said, it is what it is. Now, so what is that? We think logically... It means that if they're going to cut loose a sure deal, that they must have something better. Or the political pressure is so great that a church, they just don't want a church there. And we don't know what the truth is. So, so what do we do with that? I, folks, I, I know, you, so you're sitting there, I'm trying to think from your point of view, like, how do you process this? Probably the same way we did. So can you imagine the high that we were on Thursday? I'm calling my family and I'm weeping. And then I call our staff and just like, look at this. And then within hours, it's been taken away, and then the money too. So let me just, I need to say this the right way. I need you to understand this. The family that offered the money offered it in terms of what we needed for the CU building and didn't feel the same uh, impetus towards the Nichols building. So they said, we just don't think that, um, that it's as necessary for the Nichols building as it would have been for the CU building. So uh, in a kind way, they withdrew their offer. And I, I want to make sure that you understand, we love these people. These are valuable people, and they haven't done anything wrong. They haven't done anything wrong whatsoever. And I know when I tell that story, it can make it seem like good and bad. It wasn't good and bad. And the only reason I even tell you that is just to try to explain, when I go into this message, I want you to get the place that I'm, I wrote the message from. Can you imagine the hurt that I felt at that moment? And just the, the confusion and the loss and just like, what in the world happened here? How am I going to explain this to our church? How, how do I understand this? And so, you know, Chris and I, we get that information. And then the very next morning, we start that conference. And, you know, 
through the weekend, we are so, I don't even have time to think about it, honestly. It was probably good. So we're so having to do this and entertain people. And we actually recorded a television show that they do. I mean, it was just like nonstop. And so we fly back to Denver and, you know, when I got off the airplane, I wasn't thinking about a building. I was thinking about survival at that minute. I didn't even have a coat with me. And so walking from, you know, the luggage to the car was like, yeah, I was sure I was moving at that, at that moment. And Monday morning in the fog of tiredness, we looked at each other and said, I guess this has really happened. Okay. So I've got to put together the message and it happens to be the subject of fatherless no more. And um, with everything I just shared with you, this is where I'm gonna teach on the father heart of God and how important the father heart of God is. It's great to know that he's your father when everything is just great. But it's another thing to know he's your father when you feel like you've lost everything suddenly and you don't understand. Man, how important is it to know who you are? And I feel like the one thing about that scripture I just read to you from 1 John, when it says we are children of God and he loves us lavishly, in my mind, that settles identity for me right there. I never struggle with who I am. So by the way, I'm not successful if we get this building and I'm not a failure if we don't get this building. I was a child of God 11 days ago and I'll be a child of God tonight when I go to bed and tomorrow when I wake up. I'm a child of God and God loves me lavishly regardless of what happens in these things. And that's true for all of us. And that's a real, look, identity, the enemy's trick is always to mess with a person's identity. If you look back and you read in the Old Testament, anytime Israel was taken captive by any foreign nation, the first thing that nation would do is change the names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not their names. That's the names that Babylon gave them. And those names represented an alliance to their God, the Baal, not to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because if the devil can get you to question who you are, if he can remove that foundation, then he can change everything else. Never give up your identity. And isn't it funny that in the world today, one of the great struggles that we have, look around us, especially in America, what's going on, identity politics is so huge, isn't it? Identity, 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 identity. Know who you are in Christ before you know anything else. That's why I say this is foundational. This is not some fluff piece. This is not some slow pitch softball where you can knock it out of the park. This is who we are. And if you mess this up, it messes up every, it messes up the way you pray. Because you can pray from, I'm a child of God. And regardless of how this feels, he loves me. And there's hope in that. All right, so, how, how do you connect these things, Pastor? How do, you, how do you start a new series, Fatherless No More, and then tell us the story of what's going on in the building, and how are you going to segue to bring them together? That's what I'm so good at. <laughs> okay. Um, in the 1800s, there was a really powerful preacher named Charles Spurgeon. Anybody familiar with that name? C.H. Spurgeon. They called him the Prince of Preachers. At 22 years old, he was the pastor of uh, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Um, He built a church that seated 5,000 people. Now, today we say that and that's nothing, but imagine in the 1800s in London, 
He preached on a weekly basis to more than 10,000 people. They would line up for hours ahead of time to make sure they got a good seat inside of the tabernacle. They didn't have the electricity, so he would actually go up the word pulpit. He would climb stairs up into a, a little vestibule type container and stand up above the crowd and then preach down to him. It was one of the reasons people wanted good seats so they could hear him. And so imagine this guy, just the, this was a, an incredibly gifted and blessed uh, minister, pastor. And he said this statement that I read years and years ago, and it just, it like, like an arrow shot into my heart at a time when I needed hope. It was like, those are the words of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he said. When you can't see God's hand, trust God's heart. When you cannot see God's hand, trust God's heart. Has there ever been a time when you haven't been able to figure out what God is doing in your life? Has there ever been a time when you question that? Has there ever been a time when it just seems like, well, what happened? And it comes a lot of times, you know, when everything's good, it's not hard to see God's hand, or at least we don't think it's hard. We think we can see it in all the good things that are happening. But when things go wrong, like a failed marriage, or a business that turns downward, or a health report that's not right, or the loss of a building. And like, I throw that in with other major things. And maybe to you, you go, you know, how can you compare those things to each other? It's all relative, isn't it? So that might've not been your grinding thing. But for me, it was the thing that I was up here in front of all of you saying, hey, uh, look, I think I did it the right way. I think I said from the beginning, I don't have a thus says the Lord on this particular building. We're gonna do two buildings because this one might not work out. But I also said, my spirit sings in this one and hums in the other one. I wish I hadn't said that now. <laughs> so when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. So using that as an understanding of how to make it through things that you don't understand and difficult things and things that hurt and things that you're just trying to like... God, give me something right now. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Here's the first one. When you just don't understand. When you just don't understand. <laughs> I had lunch with a friend of mine, Tom Ewing. Tom's a worship leader. We've had Tom here several times. It's been a long time. I need to get Tom back here. And Tom and I had lunch with each other. I think it was on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. And, and um, Tom asked me this. He just said, John, have you had a chance to get before God? And ask him, what was that all about? And I said, honestly, no. I said, we, we got back on Sunday. Monday, we were trying to recover, but Monday, so here's how the week went, right? I've got to turn all of my attention to an, I don't have any time. This thing with CU cost us a month that we really didn't have, really five weeks. And I've got to turn my attention immediately to making sure that I can get this other situation done. So I immediately start on doing that. And then one of our staff, gets COVID and she was at the office the day before she found out. So we have to shut the office down and I have to quarantine all the people that were in her presence. And then we've got personal things going on with our special needs son. And so I roll into lunch with Tom coming from all of the things that happened. And Tom says, if you had a chance to get in front of God and ask him what it was all about. And I said, I haven't had four minutes to ask God what it's all about right now. And I'm not sure that I could hear right now either. It's just honest. 
So he said, when you get a chance, and I know you will, he said, I think that God gave me this to say to you. Listen to this. He said, when you get in front of God and you ask him what it was all about, here's what you want to take away from it. Ask him what you should carry and what you should bury. Wow, that is a word. Man, is that a word? So why is that important? He said, John, what was it about that building that your spirit, why did it leap? What was it? He said, because like there's two, when you give money, I think this is important. Listen to this real quick. Never give to a building, give to the vision. Because buildings will, buildings are tools. Buildings are not the church. Buildings are not, buildings are going to change. This building, look, this building defined us and now confines us. And it's been wonderful, but it's not about the building. It's about what's inside the building. Do you get that? So that when we consider, okay, where are we going? And God, what does all this mean? Ask God, what do you carry forward? He said, because that excitement, that thing in your spirit that leapt, that shouldn't die. That should go forward. But there are things that need to be buried. And why do you want to bury some things? Because dead things are not good to carry through your life. Dead things stink. Dead things are heavy. Dead things are dead things. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. That's exactly. He's the God of the living. He's the God of the living. So ask God what you carry and ask God what you bury. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart when you don't understand. My children, I pray that this happens for you. I pray that at some point in your life, that your children will do for you what mine did for me. My kids, you know, Chris and I were always the comforters. It's just the nature of it, right? When you're raising your children, you're their comforter. But when they become adults, it's amazing how your children can begin to comfort you. And I pray at some point, if you're in our place in life and you ever find yourself just like hurting and your children are witnesses to it, that your children will know how to comfort you too, like you did them when they were little. And all of my children have reached out in different ways and my spiritual children too. This church has been awesome. Pastor, are you okay? Is Chris all right? We're praying for you. You don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. The typical thing is, yeah, we're okay. Are you really? I think I'm okay. It's warmer today. All right, I'm going to read something to you from Katie. Katie's our middle. You know, it's amazing. Um, It's not a sexist statement, but it's true. I think that women have a sensitivity and an ability to hear from the Holy Spirit that men have to be a little more on purpose about sometimes. Is that fair? Just like, like if you disagree with that, that's fine, right? But I'm the one teaching, so let me. (laughs) So this is not to lift up one of my children above my other. All five of them have said tremendous things and prayed for us and reached out to us. But Katie sent this to me. And when you don't understand, trust his heart. And this is what she said. She said, I wasn't really sure what to text yesterday. That was the first time she saw us since we got back. And I've earnestly been praying for you and mom over the last few days. I feel pretty heartbroken for you two and for the situation. It's hard letting go of something that seems so perfect and wonderful. The Lord this morning reminded me of Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Listen to this sentence. I held on to that word when I miscarried. She said, Dad, I felt so bad 
to be given a baby and then to lose that perfect gift. And I think right now we are on the heart sick part. But a new day and a new season is coming. And your ivory, ivory is their little girl that came after the miscarriage. Your ivory is coming and it's going to be such a tree of life to you and mom and to our church. I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't think losing a building is on the level of losing a child. But the hurt is hurt. And loss is loss. And my kid gets it, right? She gets it. It's like you don't understand why. And you can try to put all these like different, like, well, there must have been something wrong with it. In my mind, I was open to the door closing and was praying, God, if it's going to harm us in any way, shape, or form, if it's not going to work, if it's going to be treacherous, close the door, close the door, close the door, God. So in my mind, had the vote gone one, four, and eight against, it was an easy closed door. Doesn't that make sense? It was an easy closed door. Why do we get the vote, get the money, and then lose it? That's not like a closed door. That's like two punches and then being gutted. And I can't get an answer to it. And some people like my honesty and that I can be raw. And for some people, it makes you feel uncomfortable. But you have to know, I, I don't write my message and then plan all the significant ins and outs. I teach from my heart. This is it in space and time, exactly what's going on. I'm not trying to whitewash it. I'm not trying to dress it up. I'm trying to tell you, here's the good, here's the bad. And here's what we're doing in space and time to keep trusting God, to keep moving forward, and to keep our hearts in a good place. So when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Here's the second one. When you're hurting and you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Jesus, Jesus understood what it meant to hurt. You know, the Bible says that we don't have an unsympathetic savior. Love that. We don't have an unsympathetic savior. It's literally the words. He has experienced all that we feel so that when we come to him and tell him, I'm hurting and my heart is broken right now, he doesn't look at us and go, what's wrong with you? He looks at us and there's a special place in God's heart for those who are hurting. We're all his children. He loves us all equally. He doesn't play favorites, but there's a special place in his heart when you're hurting. And God wants you to come to him when you hurt. And when you cannot see his hand, trust his heart when you are hurting. Luke twenty two forty two. 42. This is Jesus at perhaps the most significant moment of his life here on earth. Everything has come to this one point. He's about to have to lay his life down and he's having the, the doubts of, and, he's, and he, he recognizes how painful and, and it's the pressure is on him. And he prays this prayer. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of what? suffering away from me and then this part yet I want your will to be done not mine Jesus is not unsympathetic to what it means to suffer he suffered and because he suffered when you suffer you can go to him and I, I wrote these notes I, I I don't know how to I was trying to think how can I put this in wording that that makes sense so I wrote this can I let me just read this to you I wrote down experiencing God in your pain 
We never include God in our pain. We always include him when everything's good. God bless my family. God bless my business. God bless our church. God bless our country. And we rejoice and we see God's hand moving when everything is moving forward and going fine. But when there's a reversal, when there's a no, when a door closes, when we hurt, it's so easy to isolate ourselves and push God out of that. Listen to me. And what you need to learn to do is include God in the doubt, in the pain, in the disappointment. And here's why. Here's what I wrote. Listen to this. You will find a kindness and a generosity you didn't know about if you will bring God into the hurt with you. What you will find is not a God who looks at you and goes, hey, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Let's get going. What are you doing? Get up. You'll find a God who, listen, the words haven't been many, but here's what I've experienced this week. His presence has been so rich. And it's as though he sat next to me and just put his arms around me and pulled me close. No explanation. No, hey, hey, it's, it's all good. Hey, no pep talk. Do you know what? I don't want a pep talk right now. I found this to be true. People don't know how to let other people grieve. My mom has three sons no daughters. And she will say this often. I love having sons, but the one thing that I miss not having a daughter is that my sons won't let me cry. Because the moment she starts crying, we'll do anything in the world to stop her from crying. I'm so sorry. What can we do for you? Just don't cry, mom. I'll go get you a new car right now. Just stop. Now, I'm being a little facetious, but it's true. We don't know how to let people express emotion. Well, you know what? I, I know it's going to be okay. My faith is strong. I'm intact. I'm going forward. I'm not a baby. I won't, but I needed to mourn. And I needed just to be able to say right now, look, I'm just mourning a little bit right now, but I'm good. I love God more now than I did last week. My heart's okay, but I'm hurting. Include him in the hurt because you will experience a generosity and a kindness that the only way to experience that generosity and kindness is when you include him when you're hurting. Do you get it? And by the way, when I use the word grieving, the Bible absolutely teaches it's okay to grieve. First Thessalonians chapter four, go there real quick. I'm gonna skip the Psalms. Um, this is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he said, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died uh, so you will not grieve like people who have what? No. So it's okay to grieve, but you grieve with hope. Yes. And there's a difference between the two. Grief without hope is death. Yeah. You're going down a road for which there are no answers, and it just closes in on you is what happens. But when you grieve with hope, you go through the valley of the shadow of death, but you go through. You don't camp and live there. Grief without hope is that you live in the valley of the shadow of death. Grief with hope is that you go through it and on the other side of it is life again. Does anybody hear what I'm saying right now? Yes. Is, hear what I'm saying? This is so important because look, we're always teaching moving forward, doing well, success, success. Yeah, yes, that is a part of the gospel, but so is suffering. Thank you for that huge amen. So is, why do we suffer in this world? We suffer because we have an enemy who hates us. We suffer. Jesus said you will suffer for doing right. You'll suffer for loving him. And sometimes we suffer because life is unfair. Yay. It's true though, isn't it? See, if you live long enough to figure out life is unfair. God is good, but life can be unfair. 
Hmm. So we grieve with hope. And I also wrote this. I, I, maybe this is for somebody. There's pain and then there's lonely pain. Pain is, it's a part of life, but man, it's horrible to be alone in your pain. And that's why the Bible tells us to bear one another's burdens, doesn't it? To bear one another's burdens doesn't mean to take away the pain. It means just to be there when somebody's hurting. By the way, too, so that you hear me say this, I'm sorry. I'm not taking on anything that doesn't belong to me. But I know those of you who have given and have prayed and have cheered and were excited about this, I know it hurts you too. I know there's disappointment. And just as pastor, I'm sorry. I really am. If I could like change that, I would, but I can't. And I think it makes me an authentic leader to stand up here and not try to gloss over this or make it something that it's not. I heard somebody a long, long time ago that said this statement. It just kind of stuck with me. If you want to impress everybody, tell them about all your successes. But if you want to impact somebody, let them know that you struggle too. Why? Because we can admire the person who's always successful, but we relate to the one who struggles at times because we struggle. Yes or no? We struggle. It's the human condition. We struggle. How do you keep going forward in struggles? How do you run the race? How do you fight the good fight? That's what I'm trying to teach you right now. Like, how do you guard your heart when all of these things are going on? Oh, here's the last one. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Listen to this. When you know. And what do I mean by that? So let me, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. Just no other word for it. This is, this is um, a few months before he goes to Jerusalem and before he's arrested and before, before the Garden of Gethsemane prayer. God, if it's possible, take this cup. So this, is, this scripture that I'm about to read you is somewhere around six months prior, three months prior. He's at the height of his popularity. I talked about Charles Spurgeon and what it was like for him in the 1800s in, in London. Jesus, not to even be compared, tens of thousands of people followed Jesus. Some of it was to see the miracles. Some of it was because he was a, a teacher unlike any other who's ever lived. Some of it is because they recognized him as Messiah. There were a whole different group of followers that he had. And just real quickly, there's difference between followers and fans. So followers are in it when you're at the top and when you're at the bottom. Followers are in it not for the building. They're in it for the vision. Ah, But fans are in it because you're winning. And sports teams experience it all the time. When they're winning, there are fans everywhere, aren't they? And when they're losing, there's cardboard cutouts. <laughs> so John, uh, Jesus at the height of his ministry we're going to read about um, <laughs> th this is like like when you read this this is like uh, a PR nightmare and if you're like pastor how can you use those words popularity and PR nightmare when you read the Bible because I don't believe the Bible is some historical document to be decoded I believe that the Bible is an invitation to walk with the one who wrote it and to understand some of the humor and, and some of the, the depth of it and the story is there for us to learn from. And some of it sometimes is just like, read it for what it is. Don't try to make it something that it's not. Read it for what it is. So Jesus at the height of his popularity, when like everything's going, it's a sunny day and the temperature's 75 and no one's against him. 
Jesus turns to the crowd of fans, including some followers, and says the following, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Can't you see Peter, who was quick to always speak up, go, wait, wait, that's not what he meant. Hold on. Let me rephrase. Let me spin this for you real quickly. What he means is, it's a PR nightmare. Because at that moment, it says that most of the people who were following him turned and followed him no more. Because he put a demand on them. It wasn't easy suddenly to follow him. And so we pick the scripture up right here. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Now get this. Then Jesus turns to the 12 and asks this question. Are you also going to leave? And look at Peter. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go to? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Just real quickly. When Peter got it wrong, it was horrible. But when he gets it right, it's spectacular. It's spectacular. Coming into Caesarea Philippi and Jesus turns to the disciples and says, men say I'm this, but who do you say I am? And Peter goes, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. And Jesus goes, well done. This wasn't given to you by something in the world, but by my father in heaven. But he also was the one who denied Jesus and cursed. When he gets it wrong, it's ugly. But when he gets it right, it's spectacular. Spectacular. Okay. Look at me real quick. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart when you know, look at me. Even if it goes wrong, I've got nothing else to go to. 40 some odd years ago, I chose Jesus and I burned the ships. There's nothing to go back to. He saved me out of those things. I'm not attracted to this world. I'm not in love with the things of this world. I'm not dating two people. There's only one savior. There's only one that I'm in love with. There's only one that I've given my heart to and his name is Jesus. He has the words of life. He's the one that I trust. There's nothing to go back to. So even if it doesn't go my way, I'm not going any place. This is who I am. It's not what I do. It's who I am. That die was cast a long time ago. I'm a child of God and he loves me lavishly and it doesn't change because I feel bad on some particular day. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? This is what it means to have faith. Faith is not some tool to where you get everything to work your way and you become wealthy and you can have a force field around you that keeps bad stuff from happening. Faith is the thing that pleases God. It's a relationship with him where we trust him regardless of how it feels, regardless of how it looks, and regardless of whether it turns out the way I wanted it to turn out. That's faith. That's faith. That's the faith that moves mountains. That's the faith that heals people. And that's the faith that doesn't make me a fan, but a follower of Christ. I'm a Christ follower. Hmm. Romans 8, 28. (laughs) Should be familiar scripture if you're a Christ follower. We know that God causes what? Yeah, all things, but look at how I've got it in this translation. We know that God causes... How much is everything? Well, it's almost everything. No, it's everything. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Look at me. I surrendered the outcome of this situation to God before there was ever a vote. I surrendered the outcome. 
He has the right to do whatever he wants to do in this thing. He has the right to do whatever. And here's why it's important. Because however we go, that's the place that God wants us to go. We plan our way. He orders our steps. The Nichols building real quick. Why would it be better than the CU building? One, it's half the price. There's something to be said for something that's very manageable financially. Yay. Yes. Yes. Two, we can build it exactly the way we want it so that it flows like a church. We don't have to retrofit it and make it work for us. How good will it be to build something exactly the way that we want it to look? On that day, you will not look at me and go, oh, pastor, I sure wish we would have got the other building. You won't even remember the other building. And by the way, all of these questions, like, you know, when we get to heaven, you think God will tell us about this? My goodness, if the number one question I have when I go to heaven is like, hey, get out of the way, get out of the, Peter, get out of the way. God, tell me about the building. Okay, John, here's what it was. Oh, what are we going to do now for eternity? Like if that, like, God, you've got to answer this question. Put it in context. That's the, when I get to heaven, God's going to have to tell me about, you know what? If it matters on that day, something went terribly wrong with our faith. Like the most significant thing you need to know is what, hey, what was that about? Did you get, I'm like, wow, shallow. <laughs> It just doesn't matter. So can I say this last thing that's going to be a little bit like stinging, but it's really true. When you go through different things like this, this is mine right now. And maybe you can relate to it because you're a part of it. But maybe you're just like, you know, but you will go through things that don't make sense to you and that hurt and that you're just going to have to decide, here's who I am and here's the way that I'm going. Listen to me. Do not allow an accusation or misplaced anger to divide you from God. I'm saying something really significant to you right now. It's very easy to draw lines from our failure or our, you know, whatever it is, our disappointment, to draw a line directly back to God. Do not do that. You are allowing something to divide you from the very thing that you need. Do not let yourself be cut off from God. So be very careful never to lay a charge at his feet. Just like Job. When God finally answered Job, where were you? When I set the lines to create the universe, tell me, big boy, where were you? You know, we get in these places where like God is some, some equal to be mad at you. Stop that. Stop it. Stop that. Why don't you go, the devil sucks. Why not go, life is just unfair. Why don't we do that? Why, why lay a charge or an accusation against God? And it's so easy that in our anger, I'm so mad at you. Don't. Just don't. I don't get it. I don't like it. But you remain good and you are awesome. And I trust you and I love, look at me. I love Jesus more right now than I did 11 days ago. I love him more right now. I trust him more right now. This is not fake. It's my strength and my weakness. I wear my feelings on my sleeve, right? And I think that's one of the things that you like about what I, this, it's real. It's really real. It's not an act. But it's also the weakness too, because like when it hurts, I'm like, I'm hurting. But I'm good. God's good. And I'm a child of God and he's my father and he loves me lavishly. <laughs> and I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and celebrate. 
and I'm going to praise him. In the next service, I'm going to praise him like crazy. King David said it this way, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be what? Be pleasing unto you. God, I will not, I will not let someone come to me and drag God into this. I, I won't listen to that. And I will not let someone come and bring an accusation. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to the Lord. Even when I don't understand, he is still God. Anybody with me? You with me on it? That's where we are. So that's, that's what we do. And that's what I know right now. So teaching, it's really funny the way that it worked out. We didn't plan to teach uh, fatherless no more in the middle of this. I actually thought it would be sort of a different um, weekend this weekend, more of a celebratory type of a, of a situation. Um, it is, yes, it doesn't, it changes nothing. Um, and we do, I, I, I think, you know, um, I, I think you understand we're still trying to raise money, right? It's like it didn't go away. And if you feel like, man, I was given for the other building. Don't give to a building, give to the vision. The vision, the teaching and training center coupled with the church that allows us to grow and to, to, to do things that we're unable to do at this point. That's why you do this. Don't get caught up in the building part of it. For sure, buildings are cool and buildings are important and they matter. I'm not saying that they don't matter, but the vision is eternal. The building will come and go. It will come and go. It will get old. It will, all the things that'll happen to it. You get me? You good? Do you, do you get it? Have I, have I made sense? Have I, like, I'm really, I think I'm a great preacher, man. I'm just like, wow, good job, pastor. <laughs> I hope, I hope you do really, your hearts are okay. And that you, you can, if you can't quantify it to explain it, at least just be willing to say, God, I trust you. I give it to you. Whatever you want to do, Lord, we just trust you. I know that all things work together for good. I know the outcome of this is going to be exactly what God wants. So amen and amen uh, to that. Um, so I, I'm, I, Tara, I, need, I know you want to close, but I need to pray. So would you bow your heads? Um, Father, I love you. Mm. Behold what manner the love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called sons and daughters of God. He loves us lavishly. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us completely. A relationship with God is not some heavy servitude thing. It's this wonderful relationship of experiencing God's love every day, every moment, never cut off from him. And so when you hear me talk about that love and you hear me talk about how good God is, even when things don't go my way, God is good. Everything I'm saying to you is true. So I wanna present this question to you just real quickly. If you don't know God's love, if you don't have a relationship with the Father through Jesus, if you haven't experienced that I am a child of God and that He loves me exactly that way that Pastor said, God loves me. I don't know why the disconnect happens sometimes, but it just happens. 
And God's constantly, I think, trying to get our attention to tell us, I love you. I choose you. I want you. The message of our gospel, the good news, is that God loves you and he chooses you. And he invites you into relationship with him. And if you want that, then you say yes. And if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Do you need the love of the Father today? Do you need his grace and his mercy? If while I'm talking right now, in your heart, you just know that's what I need, that's what I want, and you've never said to God, yes, you choose me and I choose you. If you've never done that, it needs to be intentional. Hear what I said, it needs to be intentional. Now, I'm gonna ask you to make a decision, but I want you to understand this. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. I'm not gonna parade you around inside of the sanctuary. I'm not gonna do anything weird to you, I promise. This is a holy moment between you and God, and I'm simply a facilitator. That's my job, I'm a facilitator. And so, if you go, I need to experience God's love. I need his mercy and his grace. I'm willing to come through Jesus and pastor, pray for me today. Pray for me. If that's you, would you slip your hand up right now and just say, John, pray for me. You bet, you bet. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. You can put them back down. I meant what I said, okay. I'm going to pray. And what do I want you to do is just like, as I'm praying, agree with me. Say yes. God, that's, that's it right there. That's what I want. Just say yes. There's not a right or a wrong way. It's just from your heart. Say to God, yes. Yes. I choose you, God. I want your love. Help me. Now, if you're like, pastor, in there more? Isn't, look, it all begins, the foundation is that you are loved by God and that he chose you. And all the things he will do in relationship come after this foundational thing. God, yes. So Father, thank you for loving us, just that simple. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for sending Jesus to repair God what was broken between us. We've gone our own way, done our own thing, Lord. <laughs> and we couldn't get back to you. So you did the impossible. You came after us. You have mercy on us and you forgive us and you draw us to yourself. You do the heavy lifting. And then offer us the opportunity to be reconciled to you. Sometimes, God, it's beyond, I just can't understand. It's, it's love that is supernatural love. And so, God, pour out your supernatural love on every heart today, but in particular on those who are saying yes to you right now for the first time. 
Father, forgive their sins. Father, draw them to you. Make them one with you. Thank you, God. Thank you today. <laughs> Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.